Welcome to episode 256 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a travel, landscape, and stock photographer from Italy, now residing in France, Francesco Caravellano. Francesco and I had a wonderful conversation about his journey and some revelations that he's made while pursuing multiple careers in the arts. Before we dive into the show, I wanted to shine a spotlight on one of our Patreon supporters and the woman who has been helping organize our listener after parties on Twitter Spaces, Bree Stockwell. First, I'm so thankful that Bree has volunteered to help provide additional value to listeners by organizing and hosting our after parties. They are an excellent way for listeners to engage with guests, me, and other listeners in thoughtful discourse about each episode. They're a lot of fun. Second, I want to tell listeners about something awesome that Bree is doing. Her story is quite inspiring, and you can hear all about it on a previous episode. Her journey is all about becoming a better person. I think that all of us are trying to get better, better at photography, better at business, and better at life. Bree is putting herself out there as a coach for creatives. She knows that we can get the growth we want by making and achieving big goals. She created a goal quick start guide to help you have a clear jump start on your next growth opportunity through achieving your creative dreams. Download your free Dream It, Do It quick start guide at creativemindscoach.com. Again, that's creativemindscoach.com. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Francesco Caravellano, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that uh, you were able to reach out and we were able to connect all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, which is always super fun for me because I usually get to enjoy these episodes uh, at the tail end of my day, right when you all are waking up. So what is it, 3.30 in the morning there? Yeah, that's right. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no problem at all. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, for people that aren't familiar with you, um, which I'm guessing is probably a lot of people because you, you're one of those people that kind of flies under the radar, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I don't think many people know about me. Uh, I'm a travel and landscape photographer, uh, originally from Italy, but I live in France since uh, about 10 years. And since I moved to France, I dedicate all my time to to photography uh, so i split my time between travel photography and uh, expressive nature photography uh, so that's that's what i do awesome yeah so um so you're doing photography full time yeah yeah I've, i'm guessing that's not super easy to do in europe um i don't know if it's easier or not in europe i think the challenges are there everywhere uh, but yeah, it's not it's not easy. Uh, but you know, it's not easy anywhere. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know where it's easier. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, it's pretty much everyone always asks me like, what What does it take to become a full time photographer? And I'm like, I'll let you know when I figure it out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, <clears throat> so I know you got your um, you got your start kind of in the arts uh, in 3D computer graphics and. I would love for you to talk about kind of how that was like your foundation and where that took you in your career. Yeah, it's probably a funny story because most of the people just uh, start with uh, with photography in a way or with an interest in photography. But in my case, it was really about uh, computer graphics. Basically, it all started when I was uh, 15. 
probably even 14, and I was playing on an online game, and um, I I started to talk with a, with a guy who was um, an architecture student, so he was studying architecture, and uh, one day he just told me this was a 3D game, and he told me, you know, you can actually recreate everything we 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 see in this game through the computer, and I got very curious about that, and one day he actually sent me a, a DVD, a software. Uh, and he wrote on the software, whenever you get bored to play, just try this. And one day, eventually, I got bored to play and I installed the software. And um, and I saw that actually, yeah, you can make uh, geometric forms and uh, create a model of buildings, whatever. But it was very difficult to learn. He didn't really explain much to me, but I got really, really interested in the, the graphic aspect of the of computer graphics. So... I spent a lot of time trying to learn as much as I can. And at that time, it was very difficult because um, internet was not as we know it now. So to find uh, resources uh, or even video tutorial did not exist at all. Uh, so this was about 2000 and yeah, early, early 2000, 2001, 2002. So what I did was uh, just mm, trying uh, to, to learn as much as I can, just failing uh, constantly and um, eventually I managed to fail better uh, at, uh, at learning this and then I eventually found out that uh, through the very early stages of amazon.com I could buy books uh, about this software which which is called 3d studio max and um, and the problem is that the books were all in English so I had to learn the language <laughs> so uh, so that took that took a lot of time with the dictionary on the side, trying to translate everything. So, um, so I I got hooked with the with the whole graphic aspect of of, um, of making images through the computer, and um, and that lasted for a, for a while, for for a long while actually, um, because um, when I started to be able to model things. Uh, at home, I was very inspired because my father is an architect. So I could take the design that he made for work and recreate them on the computer. Uh, so I had uh, all this design and I was, uh, I was doing all that. And of course, I was doing that on my free time. So after homework, after school, uh, instead of hanging out with, uh, with friends, I was just staying at home and studying all these things. So eventually this interest evolved uh, and it grew a lot, so much so that um, during the summer, for example, which in Italy lasts for three months, I had a whole program. Like every week I knew what I had to learn, uh, what I wanted to learn, and I had tons of objectives, uh, auto-assigned uh, objectives and a little project, basically. Wow. So... It was a um, very productive time and I spent so much time doing this that eventually at the end of uh, high school, uh, I started to work as a professional uh, digital artist, basically, in, uh, in 3D graphics. Um, and, um, um, and because I was doing this all the time, I also managed to merge my this interest of mine with my school uh, plan because I... I hated school in the sense that uh, I wanted to do all this uh, 3D graphic stuff all the time, that I didn't have time to do the homework or to do school stuff. So I find a way to merge these two things because I, I, the school I was doing was a professional school. 
where we actually had to design things. So for my high school exams, I created a project which took me eight months. So basically almost the whole uh, last year of school. And I presented this project on the day of the exams. And um, um, so I was able to, to blend the, the school uh, needs with my own uh, desire of, of creating uh, things uh, with, with computer graphics. And uh, everybody was happy, thank God. And uh, so, yeah, I, I started to see that, oh, I can actually apply these things to regular um, life things. Uh, because in the beginning, I never thought I could actually find a job through this, which in a way, it's kind it's kind of how in after uh, later on in life, I applied the same kind of things to photography. You know, I started to do photography because I liked it, but I, I didn't really thought from the beginning, oh, I can actually do this for a living and probably many people also uh, stumble upon photography and then they realize oh actually there is a market for these things uh, so i can actually do this for a living for example even if as we were saying it's not easy and um so that was this uh, this this first part and then after uh, i also got interested very much into uh, 3d animation which is um, what got me even closer in a way to, to image composition uh, and through photography eventually. So, gotcha. So not to, uh, not to go back, but you, you said it was an online game. Um, was it a massively multiplayer role-playing game? Uh, no, it was not one of those uh, type of game, but it was um, a military action uh, game, so it's not. The, oh yeah, okay, the, like Call of Duty ones. or something. Uh, kind of like that, but uh, older and uh, it was more strategic. So you really had to know uh, your teammates and stuff. Um, oh, okay, sure. So, but but yeah, it was you know th- that kind of period basically where yeah, three D games, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking back to that time period. That's like Action Quake and Quake Two and Unreal Tournament. <laughs> and this one was called uh, Rainbow Six. Uh, oh yeah, Rainbow Six, of course. The very first one, because then the franchise got um, uh, messed up in a way by another company who, who bought it and they completely changed it. But the very first uh, two, they were much more strategic and less violent also. So, right, right, right. right. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I was just curious because that's um, when I was growing up in middle school, high school, college, like. I was constantly playing games. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I went through so, that phase too. Yeah, exactly. But I yeah. never expected it and ending up in uh, in such a way that uh, by the end I was actually able to 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 recreate basically those those graphics. Yeah. So I'm. There's so many questions I have, but so in terms of photography, what inspired you to transition from animation to photography? Well, uh, it happened. Mm, a lot later on, uh, basically when I started to have my uh, my first interest, that that the change in in the interest from three D graphics to three D animation, uh, I had to learn a lot uh, cinematography. I actually started an online school um, soon after high school. I I did this online school. The the school was in the US. There were basically three people from Disney and Pixar who got together and they created this online school. 
Um, and I was one of the first 200 students. Um, being from Italy, from Europe, it was, it was a great opportunity because I didn't have to move to the US to do an animation school or to other countries in Europe because in Italy there were no animation school at the time, uh, while anywhere else was much more uh, advanced in a way. And um, I could stay, so I could stay at home and I could, uh, I could study. And I was also studying while I was also doing some 3D uh, graphics work on the side. So they were very, very busy years. The, those from my 18, 19, 17, uh, I was working on the side. I had my own company as a 3D artist for 3D modeling and stuff, because uh, I got to work then with the architects and uh, a TV, local TV channel to do 3D graphics and stuff. And I was also studying at animation uh, in, in this animation school, which still exists nowadays. Now it's called Animation Mentor. And um, uh, so the school basically pushes you to study cinematography. There are a lot of uh, classes about cinematography and also about photography, but not in a practical way, just uh, in a theory. Uh, one thing they used to do a lot in the, the, first, um, the first months of the school was to um, analyze uh, paintings from the past. So they would, mm, they were a recorded lecture and in them you would see a lot of these um, uh, very old paintings uh, and they would analyze the composition and the light. So that was really, really interesting. And uh, it really taught me many, many things that then I naturally applied to photography just because uh, I saw them for so long. And then, of course, there was the animation part where you basically have to animate your character that will be uh, in the movies uh, or in the scene of your movie. But before that, you also have to frame the shot that you are going to animate. So the framing was really, really relevant. Uh, it was very, very important. And in fact, when I then uh, started to work as an animator, so I completely stopped to work as a, as a 3D artist, uh, and I moved in working as an animator for different companies. I had this uh, very long experience of two years where I was working uh, under um, the movie director and the, the director of photography of the movie and also the animation supervisor that basically they direct uh, the scene you are animating and also the framing. Uh, so uh, there were a lot of notes and... Uh, uh, lessons really as I was, was as I was working about uh, composition and uh, framing and camera movement, all these things. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just curious because you know, I feel like from a vocational perspective or you know opportunities uh, in terms of having a job or things like that, it seems like at least nowadays being a 3D animator or being in that line of business, I feel like there might be more opportunities than there are in photography, although maybe your experience has been completely different, but that's part of what I'm curious about in terms of why you decided to switch careers, essentially. Um, so I'd be curious for you to talk a little bit about why you, photography bit you so hard and you totally switched. I felt like photography came to me while for animation, I had to work very, 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 very hard for gotcha, many, okay. many years. So <laughs> uh, 
I was introduced uh, to photography from a, a, a colleague. Um, I was working in England at, at the time as a 3D animator, and we wanted to make uh, a live action, uh, a live action short, but not with the computer uh, in live action. So we started to buy cameras. I bought uh, my first camera, which uh, I still have here, is a, was a Nikon D7000. And he that was my a... first DSLR. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he bought a Canon. Uh, I don't know which model, but you know the equivalent basically. And so we started to 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 do little uh, movies. Uh, I was we were very focused on videography. So we were experimenting basically, and we wanted to make this short movie. But then we realized that the short movie it was too expensive because we, we he came up with a story we did the storyboard uh, and we had everything planned like we had at work um uh, working for an animation studio but then we would we would use you know our cameras and film it in live action and we had to pay the actors and rent the uh, the places where the the short movie would be filmed and we realized this is so much money we, we cannot afford this no it's impossible but through this process I realized that uh, I can actually do photography and I love to go out, be outdoor and uh, in the cold or under the heat and just, you know, just photograph uh, the landscape. Uh, gotcha. So, so the, uh, the experiential side of photography really is what captured you. Yes, exactly. It was really the big shift uh, from uh, making images through the computer in a studio and making images outdoor uh, in total freedom in a way because I didn't have all the supervisor or, or uh, directors, uh, you know, changing the, the the scene basically. Of course, it was their job, uh, but you know, you, you I felt very free, and um, and then the outdoor aspect was really, really something that hit me very, very strongly. So I used to wake up uh, before going to the studio at like five or six in the morning do some photography and then go into the office, work as an animator and then go out and making uh, other tests in the evening. And then in the weekend, I used to get up very early and go in um, in the Peak District area, which because I used to live in England at the time. And in England, uh, I used to work in Sheffield, which is in the northern part of England. And there is this massive national park called the Peak District. Yeah. Um, so I used to go there basically the entire weekend, uh, uh, and uh, it was it was like heaven for me. It was just incredible. I could just create all these images, and uh, um, yeah, it was just amazing. So I I was uh, like dreaming to do this full time basically, but I never thought I would actually make the shift because I was so scared. You know, <laughs> I mean, as we were saying, it's not easy. So yeah. Well, that's interesting because you were talking about how um, you had total freedom uh, with the camera, which I would think as someone who's in the computer, you have total freedom to just create your animation, right? There's no limitations because yeah, it's that's all true. So, I'm, so part of what I'm super curious to hear you talk a little bit about is uh, how your time as an animator kind of prepared you and or has kind of left an impact on your photography work because I'm guessing that it set you up for success, but also I'm curious if it's allowed you to kind of think about photography a little bit differently than perhaps other people might. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, the things I could apply from animation to photography are so many. I honestly don't know where to start because it's not, it's not only about the, how, how do you communicate uh, things through the camera or how do you, uh, interpret correctly what a client want, um, so that you can render it through a photograph, but it's also, <laughs> right. and most importantly, uh, the mindset. I mean, where do you focus your attention, your time with all the distraction that we have uh, today, which were the same distraction that I had in 2011 and 2012, which is exactly when I started to um, photograph was in uh, summer 2011. And then eventually I left animation and moved into full-time photography in uh, uh, April 2012. Wow. And, you know, I don't remember if you remember that time, but that was the time where the Nikon D800 came out, which is the camera I have, and I'm still using that camera since since then. And yeah. also the... That was Canon... my second camera. <laughs> really? <laughs> we went to the same stores. <laughs> yeah. They convinced. It's a great camera. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I still use it. So, and the other massively important camera that came out was the Canon uh, uh, 5D Mark II. And yeah. everybody was making images. Everybody was a videographer. Everybody was on Vimeo. You know, uh, so that was that period. And um, so yep. where do you focus all your attention? Because I would see all these people and... I don't know Instagram if it was there or not. I, I've never been to. Was, I mean, I don't. I'm not on Instagram, but 500px uh, was like the site everyone used back then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I never uh, subscribed to any of those websites, uh, and I just kept working on my own uh, on my own stuff. But uh, the influences from animation were really, really big. Um, and um, yeah, sorry, I don't know if your question was more specific or as general as this it one. It was, yeah, I mean, it's pretty open-ended. I am I mean, I'm guessing in some ways, coming from the animation world, you had a pretty good foundation for understanding, you know, spatial relationships and understanding light and, uh, you know, shapes and patterns and all of those things that for some of us takes, you know, decades to figure out, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was helpful in that way because I I remember, in fact, that I had to do the opposite uh, work that most of the people does. I mean, I knew already how to frame a scene as I wanted, to communicate what I wanted, but I didn't know anything about the technicalities of photography. So I had to learn everything. I had to learn how to use the camera, I, all these things. I had no idea how to do that. So, uh, But I knew what I wanted uh, in a way and... Um, and yes, as you said, composition, uh, empty, empty negative spaces, uh, you know, positive spaces, how to balance all that. So many things that uh, I learned, uh, I could use it straight away, but uh, I didn't know, yeah, how to use the camera and where do you start if you want to make this um, professionally in a way. So, and I also have to say that because I was in England, um, England has a very active photography community. I mean, really, really active. For example, I used to live close to a, um, a theater um, and they used to show very specific movies. Uh, it was actually a great place. And they also had a cinema club and uh, a photo club as well, which was very, very active. In fact, that's where I started also to 
um, chat with other um, aspiring photographers or amateur photographers of the area in the area. So it was really, really active. So England, especially landscape photography, actually, England is very, is, they are very, very active. Their, their country is stunning, beautiful everywhere, especially the landscape and, you know, coastline is everywhere there. So uh, they are very, very active. So I had this feeling that everybody was, was trying to, to become a photographer or a cinematographer and was really inspiring. So, uh, but I knew I had to channel all this um, energy and desire into one thing and one thing only because that's exactly what I did for animation. And um, you have to become specialized in something that you truly like and just uh, work like crazy and then let your uh, work speak for yourself. So, so yeah. you tra- you transitioned into more of the kind of stock photography slash travel uh, promotion type fields that kind of has a lot of uh, it has a lot of overlap with traditional landscape photography, but it's more focused on commercial uh, clients, I guess, for lack of a better term. So, what prompted you to to move in that particular direction, especially? hopefully knowing that, you know, stock was kind of going downhill in terms of, you know, how successful yeah. you can be at it and things like that. So tell, tell us a little bit about what your thinking was behind that. Um, well, at the time, I really wanted to travel more, even though I have already lived. Uh, thanks to animation, I left Italy when I was uh, 20 and I lived in uh, and worked in Sweden and then uh, in Hungary for a little bit and then in England. So um, I really wanted to keep traveling. I met a lot of uh, great people in these companies I worked for. And the inspiration from them was massive. So I wanted to keep traveling. And so uh, I love the landscape, especially to photograph the landscape. So I started to blend these two things. And um, um, yeah, my idea uh, was not really to get into stock photography. It was was more like um, I would love to have my images on those uh, publications. And um, uh, so the only thing I could think was uh, a good thing of, you know, how do I do that was to join um, a stock agency, basically. And uh, also, I think that um, now I realize that uh, I also kind of need that, that validation that you have when you see your work uh, published. Uh, you, you kind of know that, okay, yeah, maybe I can actually do this, you know, right. for a living because it happened a few right. times now that you, you see your images on the right. cover. I can, and, I can you know. take a pretty good photo. Like it's, it's on the cover of this yeah. magazine. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you can kind of uh, feel that, uh, yes, you can take a good photo, but it's also the photo that they wanted right. and nobody else has made it. And when you see that you can actually do that, many times in very different locations you start to realize that okay maybe i have uh, uh, i have to to develop more uh, this uh, this sensibility this this thing i don't know what it is and um, try to see where it takes me basically so in the beginning uh, when i left animation i just spent uh, many months like i don't know six eight i don't know just just traveling um i had um, i had the, the all the money that i saved from the animation uh job because i i used to lead a very 
um, simple life in a way. So uh, while all my colleagues, they, they, they never had money at the end of the month because they were drinking and partying like crazy, I was like, uh, how do you waste all this all this money? I mean, I couldn't understand, but because I don't drink, I'm, I'm quite... Um, I, you know, when I was working in animation, I was very focused in my job. Uh, you know, in animation, the thing is that you can apply to photography as well. It's a lot about the, the mindset and uh, how you approach the, the career, the, the profession. Uh, so I used to work in the studio and then I used to go back home and keep uh, making animation for myself. Because if you don't do that, uh, the problem is that in the in the company, in, in the animation studio, you have a deadline and you have to finish your work at a certain uh, time. So the quality, you cannot push it as much as you want because you have a deadline. And so um, you cannot, as you were saying before, uh, why leave a, a job where you, are, you have complete freedom and then you do photography where you photograph only what you have in front of you? It's also because of that, because you have uh, you have all these deadlines and, and meetings and stuff. So uh, you cannot really push the quality as much as you want. And if you don't push your quality, you will never reach bigger companies. Uh, and in photography, they will be better clients. So if you don't push your quality, you will not reach those kind of clients. So um, I, uh, I had the same kind of uh, crazy work mentality that I was working all the time. And uh, and I applied that uh, in photography like uh, as soon as I started, basically. So I was traveling a lot, uh, used to uh, go back home and um, editing the images, and then book another flight and you know go on with another project. And these were all projects that I were I were just auto assigning to myself. So um, gotcha. trying to photograph as many different landscapes that that I could just to build up a portfolio. Yeah, it had nothing to do with someone hiring you, you were using that as the opportunity to to build up a portfolio so that you could show it to someone and say, hey, I can produce this kind of work for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I started to then work for um, some uh, stock agency. But the problem was that these stock agencies were very uh, ge- general. They were generalistic. You know, they were taking, uh, they were representing all sorts of images, like from the food and portrait, uh, lifestyle, travel, landscape, anything. And I realized after a few months that they were not selling anything and they were taking all my images, almost all my images. And I was like, this is not right. It's like uh, taking back this to my animation experience. It's like if I do an animation and the, super- the supervisor never criticize anything, say, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. It's going to fit perfectly in the movie. I was like, this is, this is so weird because I was so used to be... Uh, criticize sometimes even harshly from supervisors and so i was like this is not right it doesn't make any sense if they don't if they don't address my photography if they don't tell me we cannot you know we cannot accept these images because nobody is ever going to buy them for this reason and this other reason i will never improve so and i was alone you know so i i needed to find uh, some harsh critics uh, some people that would really tell me how it was so that I could uh, improve. So I left uh, the, uh, a few uh, stock agency and then I decided just to focus uh, my attention in finding a really specialized uh, stock agency in the travel business. Uh, and that made all the difference, first of all, because they were taking, uh, I don't know, 
1% of the images I would send them. So it was really kind of uh, revealing uh, and, right. and frustrating at times because, you know, <laughs> you make a, a trip, I don't know, to, to Greece or whatever, you come back and you send, I don't know, 100 images and they take like four. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so uh, then you have, your, you have a choice. You know, you either get very frustrated or you try to calm down and study those four images. Now, why they took these four images, why they didn't took all the others. And if you, and I used to do that a lot, like really, really studying, okay, what did I do in this image? What's in this image? And, you know, right. how like, can I take this work? and apply to every everything else? And I started to realize many trends in the, uh, in the travel photography that uh, at first I liked them because I, I, I understood uh, how it worked. But then those are exactly the same trends uh, 10 years after that made me realize that, yeah, now I, I can do this. Uh, it's kind of getting boring. Uh, now I have to move on to something else because, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, I understood it. Uh, now, yeah, let's move on. So, for example, they always want the images with the sun. There has to be the sun. Sun has to shine everywhere, not even if you go to, I don't know, crazy Right, like the sun cold, has to be there. Cold colors, clear skies, lots of negative yeah. space. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Because right, you need a uh, place to put text, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, and um, photographing the icons as well. Um, so the more iconic the place is, the better it is. Sometimes you can get um, you know things that are not so iconic, but uh, it's much more difficult. Uh, and then the funny thing is that they still want to see the icons photographed in a different way. So uh, that was also challenging. Uh, so when I understood all these things, I realized, okay, I, I, I just have to get good at this in a way, which was not easy. Uh, also, because as you said, you know, a lot of people were trying to do the same. But what really helped was um, the, the quality of the agency because they... They didn't comment the images, but as I was saying, they were making very, very harsh selections. So that helped tremendously. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, so I understand that you had a pretty influential experience in New York City as a stock photographer. I would love to hear the story about that and what happened when you were there and what did you learn about the trade of photography? Yeah, this agency, uh, as soon as I uh, started to work with them, they told me that they had this ongoing project in New York. Um, and uh, I was free to go to to New York whenever I wanted and stay there for uh, three weeks. Uh, so they had this apartment with all these photographers uh, from this agency. There were about 10, I think, they selected. And uh, so I went there and the experience was uh, was great in the end, but it was brutal in the beginning because uh, I arrived and they were all uh, great photographers that I already knew. Uh, I mean, I knew them, I knew their work. I didn't knew them, but I knew their work because I could see their work uh, published here and there, but also on the stock archive uh, from the same agency. So... Um, I was really in admiration of them and, um, and they were much older than me. I mean, at the time I was 27, they were 55, 60, some of them, uh, they were doing photography since the, 
the eighties, the seventies, I wasn't even born. So, you know, uh, <laughs> it was, it was really uh, crazy. They used to call me the kid because I was so young for them. And, um, so we were, we were living in this apartment and, um, uh, I used to, I, we spent, I spent, um, one week with a set of photographers and then another two weeks with another group of photographers. And they basically arrived across these two periods. And uh, so the first group, uh, I had a conversation with one of them, one of the photographers from the, from the first group, and uh, they basically said when they saw my images, and they were images I just took there in, in New York, they were like, uh, yeah, I mean, if this was a school or a workshop, yeah, high marks, great. But this is not a school. This is not a workshop. You are not a student. So you have to do so much better than this. And then one of, one of these guys was like, yeah, and remember, you have to beat us. I guess otherwise they're going to buy our images, you know. And so that was uh, that was totally right. And that was actually what I was uh, asking for. I wanted this, you know, people commenting my images. But at the same time, I knew that I could not get that kind of uh, wisdom in a way, uh, if you can call it that, through social media. So that's why I never... Uh, I never spent my time there because I knew I uh, just like for animation, uh, you know, to get a job as an animator, you basically do your own animation in your home. You put together a, a video with all your animation and you send uh, the, an email with this video to the, call, to the studios where you want to work. If the phone calls, great job. If it doesn't, nobody's going to tell you anything. You just have to keep working harder, basically. That, that's it. That's the mantra. Right. So, and, and social media is like... <laughs> Plus not, plus one, very nice. Come look at my stuff. Yeah, and uh, yes, but besides that, they are not <laughs> the people that are going to hire you. They are not the people that are right. going to buy your images and put it on a cover or whatever. They are not the image, the people that are going to give you a project to do. So I, I kind of thought, okay, this is not going to work. You know, I, I cannot waste my time doing that. I needed to find people who really knew about the craft and uh, have and try to hear from them, basically. Uh, and that's exactly what happened in New York. Uh, so there was a moment where I was in Central Park. I sat on a bench and I realized that, yeah, if I don't change uh, everything about my approach to photography, uh, I will never be able to, to, to make it. Because, yes, the, I was working for this agency, but of course, you know, it's a stock agency. They're not going to give you any money if you don't, if, if you don't make any sale. So, you know, uh, this is this is a, a specialized stock agency. It's not like Getty or iStock or any of the others. Uh, so um, they they represent very few photographers. So I was already very very happy to be among them uh, and to be there in New York with them. But I knew I had to change completely my mindset. So at that time I realized I have to see photography in a different way. I have to treat it like I'm a painter and I'm doing a painting, which means not only the quality or, you know, the attention, uh, but um, the fact that every time I press the shutter, I have to imagine that it will take me many hours of work to create that picture. It's not going to happen as soon as I click the shutter. You know, I have to imagine that I have to put so much work in it as a painter would do on his canvas. So I started to be much more selective in what I photograph, when I photograph, and especially why I photograph it. And, um, and it changes everything. In the, in the other two weeks, um, where I also met the other group of photographers, uh, there was this massive change, and I started to realize that, yes, uh, this is how I should treat 
any images I try to make, uh, there, there is to be a strong purpose, a strong desire for me to take the image and then wait for the best moment, uh, the best light, whatever. And um, try also to put uh, a few tourists in the framing when it's possible to show the scale and to show the, um, the fact that tourists uh, like that place because, you know, this is always for travel photography. So instead of making uh, epic or trying to make epic vistas or whatever, and you, you have many of those in New York, of course, uh, I was trying to craft images that were more personalized for me, uh, but that at the same time had an appeal for the travel market. Right. So it sounds to me like you really had to reframe and think about what you were actually trying to communicate through your pho photographs. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's very difficult for a lot of us to pre-visualize, especially in the nature and landscape photography space, because I think often what drives us in that space is, you know, shiny objects, right? Like, oh, that's pretty, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I like that. That looks nice. But it's, it's hard to kind of, I mean, not to sound hoity-toity, but it's, it's, I've personally found it's really difficult to kind of transcend that kind of, I don't know, that vanity of beauty, I guess, which is okay. But like sometimes if you need want to stand out, there has to be more to it that you're trying to communicate than just, ooh, look how pretty this is. Yes, yes. Uh, I think one, one thing that I took from animation that was really helpful was simplicity, balance, and harmony. These three things really helped me uh, change my photography. And instead of trying to go you know, wide uh, in a scene, uh, really trying to pick uh, one or two elements and just try to work with them, isolate them and, and nothing else really. So the most simple framing I could, I could make. Uh, and then I realized also that uh, the position of the sun was, of course, very important, but uh, how can I say this? It was not m more about, uh, it was not anymore about sunrises or sunsets anymore. Even if I, I do wake up at sunrise every day, you know, when I photograph and I do wait for the sunset, but it was really about the direction of the sun, uh, related to the subject I wanted to photograph. So even if it was like, I don't know, in the middle of the day, but the direction of the, the light was right for the subject, I, I started to work a lot on, on daylight too, basically. So that was really helpful. And, um, and then after this, um, this New York trip, of course, I applied everything that I learned there in a way, uh, through, to anything else. Um, the agency was very happy. Uh, I mean, they, they took, uh, 152 images, which for them was a lot for three weeks of work. For me, it wasn't a lot, but for their standards was a lot. And, um, um, so yeah, so there were these changes and, uh, I don't think I would have understood these things, uh, if I didn't had that experience. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from what you just talked about, including being open to harsh critique and, trying to figure out how to apply that to your work and then also learning how to communicate and transcending just taking a pretty picture and then, you know, understanding, you know, how to get your message across by using what's available. And I liked what you said. What was that? Simplicity, harmony, and balance. I think yeah. That's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
So uh, along those lines, what are some misconceptions that exist about stock agencies and travel photography? With travel photography, I feel that most people believe that in order to make uh, travel photography, you have to travel half of the world away from your home and photograph, uh, I don't know, local people doing something or, yeah, the landscape, the scenery. Um, actually, you can do travel photography anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. What's really important is what you put in the framing that makes the kind of images you are you are trying to 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 craft it's not where you are and you know uh, it's uh, it's really about what you put in the image i think of photography sometimes like as cooking and then you know the plate is basically your your canvas your your framing and the ingredients that you put in it are the elements of that framing, how you arrange them, how much you put of that ingredient and of the other one and how you balance all this. So, of course, uh, what you put in the framing dictates the kind of photography you will eventually show uh, to, to the next person. Um, it's not about where you are. You can, you because a lot of people say, yeah, but, uh, you know, I live, I don't know, in, in LA, I cannot photograph LA because it's not, it's not a travel experience for me, but it will be for someone else, for someone who lives in India, you know, or Japan, they will see that image. And I mean, if you shape it correctly, if you, if you do it with the, the travel photography purpose, then it will be a travel photography for them. And of course, also for uh, an agency or an advertisement company that will want to use it. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's very common. Um, I also had the experience where I taught photography on a, an online school uh, for five years. And then I left it because uh, the teaching experience was okay, but was really because I was uh, too busy basically to, to, to do that. And, um, and then I realized that, yes, a lot of people had this misconception and they really feel that they have to travel absolutely in order to make travel photography. And when in reality, the best travel photography you can make are actually the images you take close to your home because those are the places you know best. Right. That familiarity is crucial. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the misconception of stock, photogra stock photography is that, yes, it's absolutely true that it's very, very difficult to live uh, financially only through stock photography. But the good part is that, um, first of all, if you have a ton of images, you can, like, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000, you can still make uh, a reasonable amount of money, uh, you know, reasonable Um you probably need other kind of incomes, uh, but you, you still can, you know, make some money out of that. But they have to be in a specialized agency. You cannot have 5,000 images on Getty or iStock, whatever, and hope for the best. No, that's not going to happen. Mostly because the people who buy the images, the, the, the travel images or the landscape images, they are not going to go on on Getty very often. They know their market. They are going to go in the specialized agency. Yes, you probably are going to sell some images from Getty, but the percentage of money you will get is very, very low compared to other agency that they try to, um, to keep the price higher, uh, mostly because uh, they will work only with specialized um, photographers. For example, to go back to the New York project, um, this project was uh, between... Um, the European partner of my, of my agency and 
the New York partner. So it was a collaboration of these two agencies. And um, while I was there one evening, we met with the owner of the New York agency. And um, I, I happened to ask them, why, I mean, why, did, why do you guys send uh, so many photographers from Europe to photograph New York? I mean, I believe there must be tons of photographers in New York. Uh, and they said something very interesting, which I never thought. Uh, they said the American, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what they said. They said that the American photographer approach to uh, stock photography, especially travel photography, uh, it's very different uh, from the European one because they send the images to many different agencies. They don't really stick with one agency. So we cannot build a relationship with the photographer. So uh, mm-hmm. when we started this um, this project, we realized uh, that, yeah, we have to uh, take all these photographers from Europe uh, and ask them to photograph New York for us because we know their quality. They have been working for us for many years, which was not my case. I just signed with them. Um, I think they just said, yeah, everybody's going there. If you want, you can go there too. Um so they felt that, okay, yeah, let, let's get this, these photographers. We know how they work. They are very stable with their quality and let's, let's use them basically. And, um, yeah, so this is what they said. I, I don't know if this is true or not. I have no idea. Uh, but, um, this was their perception. Makes sense to me. Um, I think there's a huge underestimation of the value of building and sustaining relationships in photography that a lot of people for whatever reason don't place enough value in i think probably because in america a lot of times those relationships are not always two-way like oh they found someone else who'll do the job for cheaper so it's always this constant battle of Mm. like trying to get your business you know so it's that, that makes sense though but I have to be honest, I mean, I think that um, if I didn't have this very deep desire to have my images commented by people who um, who knew about travel photography, uh, I would have never spent so much time trying to find the right agency and develop uh, a relationship with them, uh, which don't get me wrong, it's not that we speak every day over the phone, actually very rarely, but the fact that I stuck around even when they were taking four images on uh, uh, submission of 100 or even more, uh, they kind of understand, okay, he's really here for the long run and he really wants to learn. And I was, uh, I still am very, very active in trying to get better and better and better. And uh, uh, so this kind of create a relationship because they can can see that, uh, oh, okay, you are actually getting better and we can actually sell your work. And then uh, another thing that they said uh, that I remember very well at the end of this conversation, uh, they explained to me that a bunch of photographers um, from Europe, they were so uh, good. I mean, they photographed so well certain parts of, uh, I don't know, some countries that uh, the photo editors would go to this stock agency because they knew that, oh, okay, I have to publish a picture from Sicily, for example. there are these two photographers that photograph the entire islands and keep photographing it. So they have a massive collection. I know I'm going to find what I want because they don't have time. You know, photo editors, they don't have time to browse through so many images. And that's the problem with um, 
a generalistic agency. They have everything. You know, you type the Eiffel Tower and you have the Eiffel Tower, but you have it millions of times and same images with, you know, there is no originality. There is no uh, creativity and there is no selection in what the agency proposes. So this is why, uh, you know, for me, it was very uh, sad to see that only take, uh, I don't know, a few images over a hundred, but then if you see after many years that I've been working with them, if you see now the archive, it makes total sense because if you look for an image of uh, uh, Manhattan, for example, you find very few ones, but they are not bad. And, you know, some of my images are on the cover on Lonely Planet uh, guidebooks from places from the US, Grand Canyon, um, New York City. And uh, it's still crazy in a way to think about it because I, you know, I'm from a uh, from Italy and why why buy my images but um, so it's uh, it's really important the relationship because you they start to, to see that okay you stuck around and you can also trust trust them when they make very harsh selections and so you know it's a cycle I love that well not to uh, change the subject but I think I'm really interested to learn about this particular aspect of where you're heading so I understand that you're kind of transitioning away from travel photography and, <laughs> and more into expressive nature photography. And simply put, why? Well, because I, um, I think I realized that, uh, as I was saying before, there are some intrinsic, intrinsic restriction in the travel photography, uh, how you, you cannot really uh, express uh, completely uh, your sensibility, uh, there are a lot of limits and uh, sometimes you make images that you really would like to uh, to have in your uh, stock photography archive in the agency, but then they don't accept it because for some reason it's not as iconic, it's not uh, as important what you, what you photographed. And uh, uh, I started to realize that, uh, yeah, I mean, I... I would like to express myself more uh, to, to, to do projects that uh, I care about. Because, you know, through all my 10 years in travel photography, I, I traveled for eight or nine months in a camper van with uh, first only with my girlfriend, then with our two kids. So it's a lot of work and um, constantly, like nonstop. And uh, um, I saw so many things while traveling around. I even took a two months trip in the Southwest in the U S photographing all the national parks there, uh, was, was great. I mean, you guys are so blessed with everything that's I know, there with landscape and stuff. I know it's, it's not just, fair, huh? <laughs> my God, this is incredible. And, uh, actually I think also most, yeah, when I was there also, you know, I, I had to photograph all these national parks for the, the stock agency. Uh, but I saw so many other things uh, that were not iconic. So uh, I photographed those uh, because I, I had time. But uh, you always have this feeling that hey, I really would like to go back there and just stay there for as long as I want, basically, with no no time uh, restriction at all. Now, of course, my time restriction at that time was the flight back. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, but, but in Europe, I... Uh, traveling in a camper van, I'm completely free to do to do that, and I started to do that more and more and more. And um, also the kind of clients I worked for uh, beyond the stock agency, uh, national tourism board, and this kind of stuff, they 
again, the relationship uh, that I created with them is very strong and uh, they they just need the images uh, basically at the end of the year. So I can do whatever I want. I can travel here and there. And for in that regard, I feel more much more free, in fact, to take the images that I want because as it is true that they still need iconic images, but they because it's um, it's a tourism office, they need to show the entirety of their country. It's not only about uh, the image that sells on the cover of a magazine or whatever, you know, so Eiffel Tower, you know, whatever. It's, it's much more uh, dynamic and, and diverse. And, um, and because I only deal with the landscape, I only really deal with the landscape uh, in terms of uh, this work with the tourism offices, um, I can go around and, and do what I want. So this is, this is very liberating. But because I had that freedom and I took it, I started to see so many things that I wanted to photograph in black and white, which is something that, that it's never going to sell for the travel market because nobody wants to see a half dead tree uh, in black and white, uh, you know, which for you is very expressive because maybe it has just a few leaves uh, that, that are about to fall. Uh, but nobody's going to, I mean, you know, it's not going to tell you about the place. It's going to tell you about how you felt when you saw the tree, but it's not going to tell you, oh, look how beautiful this place is. Maybe you should spend your honeymoon here. You know, it's not like that. So I started to see all these things and I realized that, yeah, that there is so much more uh, to photography. Uh, it's expressive power uh, than, than just travel photography. And um, also I have to say that I started to got a little bit older in a way and uh, the, the appeal of traveling constantly all the time it started to vanish because, um, yeah, I mean, it's great, but after 10 years, uh, you are like, yeah, I mean, maybe I just would like to spend more time in, in a place and go deeper instead of going uh, right and left yeah. know, all the time. Yeah, yeah. So. That makes total sense uh, to me. What, what are you hoping to do with some of this more expressive work that you're producing? At the moment, I don't know. Uh, and to be honest, I don't even want to know. I just want to do it. I'm, nice, uh, nice. The, the, the idea is that, uh, because I live very close to the forest of Fontainebleau in France, which is a forest that, uh, it's famous for French people because, um, a lot of the impressionist, uh, painters were, uh, they spent a lot of time there. They actually started to paint in this impressionistic way, uh, there. And they also started, the, um, uh, a movement, an art movement, which is called uh, the Ecole de Barbizon, the School of Barbizon, uh, the School of Painting of Barbizon. And um, so the forest is famous for this and also because it has these uh, big boulders, uh, which is very strange to see in Europe, very massive boulder. Um, in fact, it's very famous for bouldering as well. People who like to do that, they, they, they go there all the time. Uh, and it's a massive forest. It's like uh, 155 square, squared miles. Uh, so it's it's really big. It's actually bigger than Paris metropolitan area. So it's big. It has these boulders. It's very varied. You have parts that um, the floor is completely covered in sand. Nobody knows. Nobody really knows where this sand comes from. Um, <laughs> That's interesting. So it's it's very very varied. And uh, so my idea is to. Uh, spend half of the year just photographing this forest in an, in an expressive way and uh, the rest of the year keep uh, my focus on travel photography 
And uh, uh, I think this is a very good uh, balance as well, uh, so that um, I can I can do these two things. But um, a couple of years ago, yes, I felt this uh, uh, this desire to just uh, express myself more through photography. Uh, as I was traveling around, seeing all these things I wanted to photograph, never felt that I had the, the time to, to do it. And they were all uh, nature scenes, you know. Right, right. What do you think are some of the keys uh, to finding success, not only in the travel space, but also in the nature and expressive space that you're trying to occupy? I think you need to know yourself first than anything else. Um, I, um, although I don't do workshops and I don't, you know, I don't spend time with other photographers. I'm very, very isolated. I think that this isolation helped me a lot trying to understand uh, who I am, what I want and and why I want this. So also this change uh, about travel photography and nature photography, it was really important for me that I knew uh, what I wanted and, um, and I tried to, st- to, to stick to it because, of course, uh, um, you know, deciding to spend half of the year just doing uh, nature photography with no financial um, uh, income uh, possible because I have no idea. As I said, I'm not even interested in what I would do. Um, you, you really have to be sure and you really need to feel that this is not something you want to do. This is something you need to do. So I, I, I knew it and uh, just like the change that I did from animation to photography, as I said before, I felt that photography came to me in a way because, uh, yeah, I, I just felt that, yeah, I have to leave everything behind no matter if I spend so many years learning animation and just, just do photography. It's the same thing is happening now. So um, when, I was, when I was teaching in that online school that I told you, I felt that a lot of people were joining the, the school and they were like 50, 55, 60. So they had like an interest in photography when they were younger, but then they, they stopped uh, and they took like a 20-year pause and then uh, they felt uh, free to, to try again, basically. And... Um, but they were coming with a lot of resentment. And um, hmm. I realized that they knew what they wanted, but for some reason, I don't know, they never ne- they never really uh, tried for real. And uh, so I realized that, uh, yeah, whenever I feel a change, I just have to try to do it uh, as much as I can because, uh, yeah, it's not easy, of course, to change. But uh, uh, if you don't try 100%, then for sure, you're not going to make it. So uh, now it's a little bit easier in a way because I can balance the, the travel photography and the nature photography, and which also in terms of um, weather, it's easier to do because in the winter, it's very difficult to make uh, sellable travel photography unless you go to Iceland and, you know, then you photograph it with the snow or, you know, uh, these, these kind of things. But in uh, average places where there is not a lot of snow, uh, you either travel to places that are, um, you know, where it's basically summer there or... Uh, right. Going to Morocco. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, these kind right. of places where it's different or, yeah, you know. So, um, uh, but the isolation part, I think, is very, very important. And this is also something we can connect to the fact that I avoided uh, social media from the start. And... Um, 
and I just try to to focus on my own uh, weaknesses to try to feel better uh, every time and eventually uh, improve uh, my own understanding of the craft because this is uh, something that was and still is actually very crucial to me. Uh, whatever I try to do, I try to have a very solid understanding of the basics of whatever it is. And once you have that, then you can you can improve on that. You can move on from there. And um, so, if we are talking about travel photography, what's travel photography? What 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 really is travel photography? And if we are talking about uh, expressive photography, then probably it's in a way easier, even if it's much more difficult to do to apply to 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 yeah to to produce an, a, a truly expressive photograph. Um, but it's in a way it's easier to know uh, when you know the direction to take because it comes from within. And while travel photography, you really have to abide to so many uh, traits and characteristics that has to be there. So the, without isolation, you cannot really not only make the choice of uh, switching. Uh, between the two, but also uh, because you will never feel that desire to to move on, uh, but also you will not be able to produce a meaningful uh, expressive photograph because you will not know yourself. So I like that. I'm curious, who would you recommend that we learn more about? Who are some photographers that you think we should look into? Um. Well, uh, strangely enough, uh, I believe that you know these people, but I don't. I don't think uh, they are on your podcast. Uh, one is uh, Charles Kramer. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And Christopher Burkett. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, I have uh, his book, uh, Intimations of Paradise. Uh, uh, amazing. Uh, those are people that really you know inspired me uh, with the. Uh, with nature photography and uh, um, yeah, another another big inspiration for me are the painters of the past, uh, which um, is uh, an endless source of uh, inspiration. Unfortunately, uh, you cannot interview them. <laughs> that would have been right. That would but have no, been that great. would be. Um, I feel like that's a great source of inspiration, and also, like you said, it's a source of educational uh, material. Yeah, especially, um, you know, talking about other people, I feel very interested um, uh, in knowing the life of those people, uh, what kind of choices they made, uh, how did they become so important and uh, in the art uh, history and um, how they organized their life. Because, you know, it's not easy to... Try to organize your life, whatever you want to do, if it's photography or, or paintings or whatever, uh, having any kind of uh, creative outlet and organize your life around it, whatever you do it professionally or not, it's uh, that outlet is still very, very important for you. And uh, to organize everything around it, it's uh, it's a challenge for, for many people, I I feel. Uh, sometimes, you know, I... I met people uh, here and there when I when I photograph outside and we started to talk with some people and I feel that uh, there is a lot of desire to do whatever but uh, it's very difficult for them to organize their life and put their priorities straight and for me it's very helpful to study uh, painters from the past and see um, and go beyond the masterpieces, go beyond the professional achievement, try to find what kind of personality they had, if they were outgoing or they were very solitary, 
And if they wrote anything, tried to study anything about the, whatever, whatever they wrote, uh, really um, try to have an understanding uh, of their mind uh, beyond the professional achievements. I love it. Well, man, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for taking the time at 3.30 in the morning to, uh, <laughs> to have this chat. Yeah, I feel pretty uh, woken up by now. So. All right. There we go. He's awake. <laughs> well, thank you very much to you, Matt. Yeah, cheers. Well, thanks to Francesco for joining me on the podcast to share your story and your insights with us. I really appreciate it. After we stopped recording, Francesco shared a heartwarming thank you to me for producing the podcast. And I was incredibly thankful for his words. You know, I'm always amazed when people share stories about how the podcast has positively impacted their life. So thank you so much, Francesco. I appreciate you a lot. Speaking of appreciation, I have to give a heartfelt thank you to all of our supporters over on Patreon. You are really helping to keep the podcast alive through your financial support. I know people are super tired of hearing me talk about it, but it's true. So thank you to our newest supporters, including Peter Koskun, Paul Semino, and Roger Nadell. With your support, we are shining a spotlight on artists, photographers, and others who are following their passions. I appreciate all of you. We've got an exciting schedule coming up. I've already recorded with Serena Zenis, Sandra Bartoka, and Mason Cummings and Greg Applett from the Wilderness Society. Those recordings should be available to certain Patreon supporters already, so I hope you've already enjoyed those episodes. Be sure to join us over on Patreon this week, where Francesco and I talk all about the pros and cons of his decision for staying off of social media. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.